All right. Welcome to the year end review of the 2021 USF football season. Proudly sponsored by Irish 31, as well as Homefield Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com for all of your comfy shirt needs, folks. They had a wonderful Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale. I uh, hope you guys took advantage of that. But Homefield Apparel, they've got some great, comfortable shirts. Uh, I wore some in Vegas this week. Uh, unfortunately, they did not bring me Homefield Magic uh, whatsoever. I think. Um, I think I wore that shirt Saturday afternoon when I got there and promptly lost $400. Uh, so then Saturday night, I dressed up and won $522. I only won when I was dressed up. That is the only thing I can think of that's the difference. Uh, I It was incredible. I loved Vegas every moment of it. Went to the Grand Canyon on Tuesday. Um, just some really scenic views. Uh, my sister-in-law won $5,000 uh, three hours into her trip on Friday. So she that was annoying. Uh, I mean, she still played. I think she, I think she ended up up like three, up three grand. What? She, I mean, she was giving it away. I mean, she was just, what you went to play in? Uh, she, uh, what was it? Quick hit, I think is what it's called. I think she won the five grand on quick hit. And then we played roulette quite a bit down on Fremont street, which was fun. Uh, I think, I think we played for like three hours and got, very uh inebriated um so that was that was pretty cool um they had like a country concert on fremont street it was uh, interesting uh, some good food good times with uh my in-laws and their and the family as they celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary and uh renewed their vows at the grand canyon on tuesday which was great uh samantha is a whiz on the slots and i think she she offset all of the losses that i had uh, for sure. So we actually, you know, we came back just about even, um, which is nice. There you go. Um, so that's that's how Vegas was. How how are you guys doing? How was your Thanksgiving? How did uh you know Black Friday settle with you guys? And uh, you know, as we move toward the off season, it was good. A lot of football on, so that was fun. And I got to see my family, all that second. kind of good stuff. Oh. <laughs> Didn't watch a single second. I uh, obviously, I mean, Thanksgiving and Black Friday for me is is spent with family, not watching football normally. Uh, so I was blessed to not have to watch the game. I guess uh, I don't know. All I heard was what happened in the last <clears throat> ten seconds, and that was about it. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, the game actually didn't happen. So that's where we're at in my life. There you go. It makes sense, man. Um, so I wanted to kind of review the season, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna check ourselves as well. We're gonna go back through the daily stampede group that we posted before the beginning of the season. We're gonna see how right, or in some cases, how wrong we were in our predictions. Um, I feel like uh, Seth and Steve went out on more limbs than uh, usual. Listen, I would say I just want to say up front that they don't open practice to us, so I really have no clue what was coming up. <laughs> I just had to go off what I heard. Yeah, so it's gonna that be uh, it's gonna be interesting. 
interesting review uh, as we go toward it. But um, let's just touch on Black Friday, and then we'll jump into uh, the you know the kind of year review uh, for this team. Uh, so the Bulls obviously lose seventeen thirteen uh, to Central Florida on Black Friday. Uh, dead count bounce uh, out of the defense. Uh, just an absolute stalwart performance by that group by Ernie Sims by Daniel DePrado uh just uh, you couldn't have expected this kind of performance from this defense given uh the first 11 games of the year and it is it more of a dead cat bounce or just getting someone who's not Glenn Spencer to call plays so I had a uh I had a coach I know that was he's a college head coach right now um a d1 coach uh, he was been a D1 defensive coordinator in the past, coached power five level, G5 level all over the place. He texted me because he, he was texting me about some uh, guys that are candidates for the defensive coordinator job. Um, but he uh, he basically said, man, I thought they, they, they have good enough players to be good on defense or to be pretty decent on defense. So he, he thought they had a good plan. He's like watching them play Friday. He's like, they, they're good enough to not be that bad. They should not be that bad on defense with how good their personnel is. Or He thought they were pretty athletic. Um, and his thing was, he's like, I, what? and then I, I kind of told him this way. I, I kind of agreed. I thought this is what they did is, you know, in one of his principles, and he said it to me then, he's like, the key is, because I told him I thought they were trying to do too much during the season. They're trying to change things up and do all this different stuff. And it seemed like that they simplified things. And he said the key is making the the simple look complex to the offense. And that's what I thought they did a little bit on Friday. They played kind of – they didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. I think they played simple and sound, didn't do too much, but they did disguise things. They, they, you heard the announcers talk about them disguising coverages a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what they did, and they, they simplified things, kind of didn't do so much, but allowed the guys to go out and play and be confident in what they were doing. I thought it was the first game you saw where guys looked confident. Like when a safety was coming up to fill, he looked confident that that's what he was supposed to be doing. A linebacker coming up to fill, he looked confident that that was his gap. There wasn't a lot of second guessing. I, I, so I, I'm assuming they simplified some things for them to play that well that quickly, but whatever they did, they did a really good job, and the players were seemed much more confident in it, and much more uh, just confident in understanding what their assignment was. There was no hesitation, which was you kind of saw throughout the year. Yeah, I, I, you know, 285 yards allowed on defense after giving up 501, 506, 646, and four uh, 471 in the previous four games uh, leading up to that game. It, it just it's it's incredible just the the three day turnaround that this defense has and it, it may you know lend to your your colleague's point that maybe maybe they do have the talent and it just wasn't the right fit and Jeff Scott pretty much said as much in the post game interview without fully saying it he he told uh, media after the game you know one of the things that he did prior to taking the job and, and, you know, kind of sorting out everything as they headed into that first spring or what they thought was going to be that first spring was he didn't look at any game film. He didn't look at any tape. He didn't want any preconceived notions on the roster. And he said the one thing that maybe hindered him a little bit was he didn't know what he had and he didn't fit the person to the personnel. 
And I think now he knows what he has, what the league is like, who he goes up against every year. And now he's going to have a better understanding of what this league does and who, who fits the, the model right now. And I think that, you know, we'll get into the game management stuff because that's things that in the, in our predictions that we talked about, but being able to understand holistically and, you know, the, the macro level that uh, I messed this up. I've got to be better when I, when I go to fix this issue, I think is a step in the right direction for Jeff Scott. And I think you're seeing it with the, the transfers that are coming in as well, that he he's taking the steps in the right direction at the macro level, the, the, the foundation building level right now uh, to, you know, get this thing righted. And it's, it takes, you know, those two kind of scopes that the micro being, you know, in-game management and the macro building the culture and everything else surrounding it and making sure he's making the right hires. Um, what, what do you guys think? I, I, I don't know. I know. Steve, you didn't really watch it luckily because it, it was just another stress filled uh, Friday game day for me, which was just thoroughly annoying. Um, but like, is it still heading in the right direction here as we, you know, we're uh, almost a week removed from, from the season ending. Do we still feel as good as we did uh, maybe three weeks ago after that Cincinnati game, after the, that, that streak where they were kind of competitive, you know, taking, taking out that the two lane uh, nightmare. I, I think that there's, it, I, I think it was an old Bobby Bowden quote. I know that's not the most, uh, like-minded person to compare on the situation. But, I mean, it's a very old kind of expression on how teams are rebuilt from the ground up and how Bobby Bowden was able to do it and and all that sort where, you know, your, your first year, you, you just, you get your pants pulled down and you look like an idiot and you suck. You know, that's that's that was year one for for Jeff Scott. Not an exact two, Bobby Bowden quote. Yeah, not the exact, but, <laughs> but year two, you go from basically like year one, you lose bad. You look bad, you're dysfunctional, you don't play well. And we saw that. You know, they had a few close calls, and I, I think the the talent that was on the roster was evident. You know, I think that Temple game from from 2020 and the, the Memphis game, you know, you knew the team had talent. You know, they just it, – it was it was just a bunch of guys playing football at that point. Year two, we started seeing now uh, that there were signs of life and that there are signs of life, and that's, you know, year two under Bobby Bound, and it's – you start lose closely. You, you lose closer than you did the year before. And I think for the most part this year, that's what USF was able to accomplish. You were still able to win, you know, <laughs> you were able to double your win count. Uh, so uh, kudos to that. Um, but you were able to win uh, an FBS football game. You got the win under your belt. I, I still think, you know, you let a game or two slip out of your hands. You know, the I, I, obviously that, that Tulsa game, it was just, is going to be an, a giant egg that's just going to loom over this team for a while. And then, you know, getting embarrassed at Tulane, but, you know, after we heard some things about how the game plan was going into that game, it seemed like there was a quite a bit of disconnect on, uh, on defense. Um, but I think for the most part, you're now seeing, you know, progress from year one to year two. So now you should see progress from year two to year three. I mean, that's how most things work. You have a very young team on offense. You replace a lot of, not so great talent on defense with some pretty, you know, notable talent on that defensive line and you're bringing in more transfers and everything. So I, I think you can say that this team is still heading in the right direction, but 
you know, this isn't to say that year three is going to be, you know, the star setted year. You know, I, I think a lot of people probably liken to that UCF third year where they went 12 and 0, where they go 0 and 12, 6 and 6, and 12 and 0. That is such an outlier. You know, I think the goals, you know, lofty for next year is just, hey, bowl game, six wins, get it done. You know, you're you're more talented than most of the other teams in the in the conference. The out of conference schedule isn't as grueling, so I think uh, I think you can still say that this team is heading in the right direction. I I think I agree. Uh, the one thing that I think needs to be changed, and it got masked by, and not total change, but it got masked a little bit towards the end of the year was I thought the offense was starting to sputter a little bit at times towards the end of the year, and you saw it especially in that last game. They've got to um, they've got to tailor the offense for their quarterback. I don't think going into the season, we saw them tailored a little bit as the season was on, but I think they have to go even more into it. Um, you know, Timmy was just not playing as well towards the end of the year, and, you know, is that coaching? I don't know. It's, he seemed to not be getting – he was one guy that didn't seem to be getting better as the season went on. And it also seemed like they were putting more on him as the season went on, more and more responsibility to make reads, to make things. I think I said it in our in, on Slack at halftime, like, if you want to run, call a run. If you want to pass, call a pass. Stop making him have to decide every single play. He's a freshman. And then at halftime, uh, you, were, you were at the game, right, Nate? So you didn't hear the broadcast. They said Jeff Scott said – we're going to call more runs. We're just going to call runs. And and so I thought that was a good way to go. But I think that needs to be kind of – they need to tailor it more towards their quarterback. He's their guy going forward. That's for sure. I don't think there's any questions about that. They've got a ton of skill guys that all he's got to do is get them the ball in space, and they can do a lot. you got three really good running backs. you got – and now even you got even more guys coming in at receiver now. They've got a lot of talent. And it's funny – kind of the view we have of the team watching them every week. And then you get a guy like Parker stats war who we showed, uh, you know, his advanced stats and he's kind of a national looking at college football nationally, you know, and he'll watch, he's watched some USF games and he's like, man, USF's going to be really good in the future. Like they're, they're coming, they're on their way. Right. So I, I think it's interesting to see an outsider perspective on it when he sees all the young talent on offense and, and then defensively you can fix some of those issues. It seems like with the new defensive coordinator, and then I yeah I think I think in the chat Gary's saying I think next year you, you're really hoping next year's the bowl year if it's not then a lot of the momentum comes out of the program but I think you still have it right now and, and they're picking up positive momentum and recruiting I think it's going the right direction but next year you got to get results and I, I think adding on to the offensive woes for for a second and you know this I hope this will be quick but I I, I think we have to remember that you know, coming out of spring ball. You know, we have basically four really different quarterbacks competing, and Charlie Weiss and Coach Scott had to, you know, tailor an offense around four multiple, you know, quarterback systems. You know, Cade is a type of guy that probably runs an RPO really well, but, you know, he kind of fluttered off and unexpectedly, and we'll probably touch on that a little bit. Travis Marsh is a guy that big arm you know, sits in the pocket, wants to make the go from first to second to third read. Even even Jaron Williams is a guy that, you know, could probably run the RPO very well and, you know, can still kind of move out of the pocket when need be. And then you have Timmy, who is the wild card of all three of that, you know, a pro-style quarterback that likes to get out of the pocket, extend plays, and, you know, let the, let the routes break down a little bit more, you know, any way he can. So 
really in you know this may be an excuse i don't know what was you know happening in the playbook style of things but you know they probably didn't get too in depth on any of the playbooks and by the ucf game i mean every team is going to know what usf is running by that point because we couldn't go past page two with timmy you know that there you, you can only flip the playbook as much as you could you could probably pull out a trick play here and there, but you know you never really got to have Timmy develop as QB one, and now you can do that this off season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and you know, Seth, you you touched on it, Steve. You touched on it. They put a lot on Timmy's shoulders, especially toward the latter part of the season. I'm just looking just at the numbers here: uh, 46, 30, 36, and 30. Those are the passing attempts, the final four games of the year. Uh, that is a lot to put on a, a young quarterback. Uh, you know, a Houston 46, 46 attempts, 27 rushing attempts. Like that, that should be flipped. That should always oh, be flipped. If, 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 if Timmy's throwing the ball 40 times, something something's askew here. When, especially when you have those three running backs, you've got to be able to utilize them. And I think Charlie Weiss Jr. got so stuck on certain things, and it, it, it really bit them on Black Friday where, Seth, you pointed out, I think you pointed out on Twitter, you pointed out on Slack, like they had no answer for the Blitz. And that was not like a, weeks in a row. Not a single answer. Not a, a quick hitter. Not nothing. I've got a, to I've catch got a question for you guys on that front. How many screens do they throw to running backs this season? Probably like five tops. Can you think of five? I know they did one against BYU, and that's as far as my brain works right now. I think they threw one to Jaron like three weeks ago, and he caught it the pass was high and he fell down yeah i i know uh they threw that one to him at byu and it was a bad throw if it was a good throw he would have got like 20 yards yeah. and third down and jeff scott at clemson ran a ton of screen they they ran a ton of screen around a like sprint draw a lot of different stuff for their backs they had even when you had trevor lawrence at quarterback they did a lot of screen stuff with etn and stuff and you've got those kind of guys that are that explosive I, they, I, I thought they could, they could use to, they could mix it up a little bit offensively. I was not, um, I don't think anything they do is bad, but I think they could maximize their players in, in better ways. Like Jimmy Horn's your best player. Why isn't he touching the ball more? Like if I'm going to the game, I'm like, I want Jimmy Horn to touch the ball 10 times some way. If I can't throw it to him, I'm going to hand it to him. He's got to touch the ball 10 times. You know, he goes like a whole half just about without touching the ball against UCF. I don't know how many touches. It felt like he didn't get very many in the second half. And it's like either they're playing off coverage so you can't throw slot fade because it looks like they're playing just one guy over the top of them. So call slot fade. All right, they're paying off. Call a hitch. Just get the ball in his hands. And then and then you got other playmakers in the backfield that all those guys can catch too. I, I think they just got to find some variation and Steve and I have both talked uh, on Twitter and <laughs> to each other about guys that Jeff Scott knows I think would fit USS personnel, not in terms of going out and getting them, but picking their brain. Uh, and that's the guys at Coastal. I mean, Bentley's son, 
is an analyst, I think, at Coastal Carolina, Willie Korn. Uh, played at the high school Bentley was coaching. I think Bentley left. So, but so I don't know if he coached when he was a younger guy, like a freshman or sophomore. Um, but Willie Corn is the co-OC at Coastal Carolina. Go pick his brain. Played at Clemson. Wonder he was actually, though. yeah, he was the he was the quarterback when Jeff Scott was the wide receivers coach. So it's not like he was there for. It's Dabo's not like that. First yeah. real season, like after the. Um, after the uh, interim tag was taken off. So mm-hmm. they've got, I think they've got to change some things offensively there. It was weird. It's almost like they picked a quarterback that doesn't, they, the quarterback they picked didn't fit their offense as well as the one they didn't pick. And then they didn't really change the offense much to fit the quarterback they picked. They tried some stuff, but it wasn't consistent enough. So I think that's the next step. They need to think offensively is really tailor it to what your quarterback does well and what your personnel is. Because you've got some really talented skill guys that you got to get them the ball and take a little bit of pressure off Timmy because he can do it, but asking him to drop back almost 50 times against Houston, that's tough for anybody, much it's, less a freshman. Yeah. Desmond Ritter would be shocked. dropping back 50 times to throw against Houston. <laughs> no no yeah. one in this conference should do that besides like Seth Hennigan from Memphis. No. And 48 crazy. of those passes are going to Calvin Austin. <laughs> yeah it's just uh, i know someone uh asked earlier uh, if it was the right call at the end of the game yes um it's unfortunate but yes he was sacked time was still ticking right so you can't get bailed out because they're reviewing a play right so if there's under you're under 10 seconds you can't you can't get an extra possession or an extra an extra down just because of the play was stopped to make sure that they got the call right it's it's not fair to the other team uh you know if it happened to usf in in the reverse we'd be absolutely furious that they got the call wrong and usf for the other team ended up scoring um they got the call right it's why you don't take a sack there it's why you can't run the ball when you're you know even though it's what first and goal second and goal whatever it was from the three with what 12 seconds left you can't do it. You just, you literally cannot do it. Just be, you won't be able to get set up again if you don't get it. Now, three yards is pretty close to vulture territory, but just not quite. Like if it was at the one, absolutely. I, I fully, fully believe Jeremy Ingham will get the, the, the one yard needed for that touchdown, but uh, three is just a bit out of his range. Um, I didn't think the play call was bad. It, they, they, it was basically it was the same play call that uh, Jeff Scott made to win the national championship in Tampa with Clemson. It was the rub. It wasn't there. So you, you tell the quarterback, if it's not there, throw it out of the back of the end zone. I don't care if you throw it 50 rows up into the end zone. That ball's got to be gone. So that's one thing that's a little – it doesn't worry me so much. But, I mean, SMU game. You go back and look at the SMU game. They had a chance to score points at the end of the first half. Timmy takes a really bad sack. They run out of time, can't get the field goal team on. You're hoping you learn from those type of situations. And right there, just trying to make a play. I think he's just a young guy trying to make a play. But, man, you've got to get rid of the ball in that situation. So, I I don't – I don't, I don't know what else you can do in that situation, but you got to get the ball. You got to get rid of the ball. 
And I mean, that's, you know, the whole thing about having a, starting a freshman here who's probably used to being hero of his team. You know, frankly, I mean, you take your, your Sanford Seminole team 12 and 0 when a, when a state title, you know, with, with your teammate Jimmy and everything like that, you've probably had to play hero ball and, you know, I'd hate to say it, but that's kind of the gamble that you take when you start a, a true freshman through, uh, you know, through all the lumps and all the struggles. I mean, you'll have absolutely masterful moments from him. You know, there were some some throws against Cincinnati and Houston that we all were were floored and impressed with. But for every every good throw you're going to get out of a true freshman, you're going to get a lot of really bad decisions out of a true freshman. And that's part of the whole learning curve. You know, I, I think we probably wouldn't even have been in that situation if we started Fortin or if we started Marsh. You know, frankly, I, I think Timmy was the best QB on the roster and gave you your best chance to win. And God damn it, we didn't win it. Yeah. Uh, it just said, just said, add it to the list of just tough things. I just, I did not expect Timmy McLean or any quarterback, I don't know, uh, 262 passing attempts with over half of them, nearly over half of them coming in the last month of the season just doesn't seem like a winning recipe. And it clearly wasn't as they lost their, uh, I believe it's now 16th straight November game uh, dating back to 2017. Um, They haven't won a road game since 2019. Uh, It just, they haven't won back-to-back games to end the season since 26, since 2016. Uh, just a, a lot of streaks that are, are still intact as you head into 2022. Um, I just want to kind of go over some of the, the, the stats leaders uh, for the season, and then we're gonna we're gonna go into uh, the daily stampede group, and we're gonna we're gonna grade ourselves. We're gonna grade ourselves harshly. We're gonna make sure you know we. Uh, we put this stuff out there and we'll, uh, we'll, we got to stand by it. So, uh, what, were, what, was, what was Timmy's averages the last month in terms of attempts, like per game? Okay. So, 46, 30, 36, 30. So, that's hard 96, 142. Over four games. Yeah. So 30 plus. So Trevor Lawrence's freshman year at Clemson, he averaged 26 passes a game. That seems bizarre that you're going to put 10 more on a guy, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully they check. make some changes in the off season to, to fit the personnel, but I'm, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. That was it. That was attempts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and that doesn't include that does not include as we're seeing this. Does not include ones where he dropped back and then took off and ran either. So that's about as much as uh, FAU was throwing the ball in 2019. No, with well, a third quarterback, was, junior quarterback. Yeah, their yeah, quarterback was really I good. Mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very good. He was. I mean, he was all right. He was only like. He was yeah. in Oklahoma. He was like a four-star transfer from Oklahoma that was like a junior and had been in the system for two or three years, mm-hmm. or two years. So he was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta adjust. And and here's the thing that 
I think Weiss is really a really smart guy. But when you're really smart sometimes, and you, I don't think he played at all, which is not a knock. You can be a really good coach without playing. But at quarterback, you're a really smart guy. You're thinking, hey, this is an easy decision. If this guy does this, this guy does that, bang. But on the board, it's a real easy decision. But it, it's a little bit different when you're there. And you've got to adjust to where sometimes it looks great on the board as a coach. And it's like, this is the perfect play. But then you go to practice. If your guys can't do it consistently, you can't just call it because it, well, it should work. If it's not working, you got to do something else. So that's hoping, I hope they kind of go back and do some self scouting and see where they can, what they can do to take advantage of their guys. They have those skills they have, because they have some skilled guys and they have guys with talent that, you can put together a really good offense with. They just got to figure out how to best take advantage of it. Uh, 100%. So, quickly, uh, stat leaders, Jerry Mangum, obviously the leader uh, for running backs. Let me make sure I got the number right for you. Um, 168 carries. 160 carries, 671 yards, and 15 touchdowns, uh, which is second all-time. Tied with Marlon Mack for touchdowns by a USF player in a single season. Uh, three behind Quentin Flowers. He uh, didn't register a touchdown the final two weeks of the season, uh, and he got stuck on 15, uh, followed by Tim McLean, who's 123 rushing attempts uh, for a net of 238 yards. He lost 231 yards, um, which is – Pretty impressive uh, for 1.9 yards a carry. Uh, Kelly Joyner uh, had 78 carries for 460 yards, 6.2 yards. Brian Petit, 58 touches. That needs to be a lot higher. Like if Jaron, Kelly, and Brian each get 100 touches in a year, I think that's that's the smart play. Yeah, take those extra 60, sprinkle them out, yeah, and and get them – you know, there's no reason they can't be on the field at the same time, too. Yeah. They have you, you have a pretty good skilled group there that needs to do some stuff. So th- those three really need to get more touches if, if we're being perfectly honest. And then uh, Tim McClain passing 145 completions, 262 attempts, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, 55% completion percentage for 1,888 yards. Uh could uh, should be a lot better. I, I six passing touchdowns on the year for the Bulls is pretty rough. Uh, 30, I think 31 touchdowns as an offense is um, not it's gonna win you two games. <laughs> I think that's that's the recipe for winning two games. Um, and it's it's tough when I think. Two, only two of your passing touchdowns were longer than 10 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Jimmy's 80-yarder uh, and then uh, Xavier Weaver's 13-yarder uh, against ECU. Um, just not really explosive in the passing game consistently, and, it, and you saw it. You know, the, Xavier Weaver had a couple of big-time catches. Look at uh, – Look at the the final drive uh, against Central Florida. So um, that's that's the thing. Uh, Xavier Weaver, forty one catches, seven hundred and fifteen yards, two point 
two touchdowns. Jimmy Horn, 30, 30 uh, catches, 408 yards. Uh, Marion Dollison, 27 catches, 218 yards. Uh, Demarcus Gregory, 11 catches, 169 yards. Uh, I, I'm just going to say this one um, because it will make more sense uh, in a minute. Uh, Latrell Williams, seven catches, 50, uh, seven catches, 57 yards. Um, at prior to his injury and on the, a big gainer, I think he he was sorely missed. Uh, so that that's unfortunate. And then you know, Xavier Weaver averaged 12 yards per per, per punt return. Uh, Makai Lapointe, Antonio Greer, Gwent, Dwayne Boyles, and Christian Williams uh, tied for the team lead with two interceptions. Obviously, Brian Batiste uh, absolutely snubbed for all conference honors. Uh, just. It, incredibly infuriating uh one more kick return uh and one fewer touchdown gets you uh all conference honors he had 19 kick returns for 644 yards averaged nearly 34 yards a return and scored three touchdowns um just an incredible performance by him uh, but let's let's get into the predictions all right. Uh, it was interesting. First question. Jeff Scott quickly named Cade Forden as USF starting quarterback. Can he hang on to the job all season? I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read our answer, our, our three answers, and then we'll we'll go we'll go through it. Uh, I said probably not, but not for the reason we thought. Uh or what actually happened. I uh, said, Kate's been hurt every single season of football since, since the senior year being made of glass doesn't usually go away overnight. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm excited to see him play, but I'm not holding my breath that he will make it. So, okay. Uh, Steve, all signs pointing to Kate has improved this off season as both a QB and a leader on this team. I think the only reason he won't last as a starter will come from an injury as he seems to have a history of staying healthy. And Seth, it's a matter of skill and performance. I believe Fortin has the ability to be the guy all year. The question for me, and I think many others, is can he stay healthy through the whole season? Man. Well, we were all right that he wasn't going to be the starter for the entire year. <laughs> like we were, we were correct. And that's the best kind of correct, is technically correct. Yes. Um, I will say Colin was correct. Um, he said probably not. There's too much high-ceiling talent at that position behind him, Timmy McLean. And this offensive line holding up a traditionally fragile QB for 12 games seems unlikely. So he was more correct than we were. Which yeah, but I didn't, that. I, still, I, I, I didn't want to give him any credit. Yeah, I still don't think they handled the quarterback position very well this season uh i don't i i i mean i i think maybe mcclain is probably the best guy for the job with the offensive line at times this year but i don't think fortin got a real fair shot which is shocking that he was your start named starter you roll him out all right here's your test games florida and nc state all right timmy here's your test game fam you Thanks a lot, Coach. I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm sure he would have loved those to be switched. So I, I don't know. Um, I still think Fortin's talented, and I'm. I was surprised they couldn't figure it out with him. 
but McLean's ability to escape some of the rush stuff, I think, probably made him the best option going forward. But they were running the they were they were running the Fortin offense all year, so I don't know. I well, I, I'll always have that drive against Tulsa to end that nightmare or the Tulsa game and the Tulane game this last year. I'll have those two drives to always look back yeah. on fondly. I think he's got the talent. Um, I thought the first game was obviously rough, but uh, I thought he played pretty decently against Florida in the, in the first half, and for him to basically never play again the rest of the year after that half was kind of shocking to me, actually. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we uh... – I wasn't wrong is what I'm saying. <laughs> Even when I'm wrong, I could have been right, so I'm still right. I get it. Um, is it interesting that – Jeff Scott and this offensive staff are 0 for 2 on bringing in transfer at the quarterback position. I don't I don't know. I think there's it's they have not handled it well. They have not handled the position well. Um you don't name a guy the starter and then have the freaking puff piece ready to go and then pull him after two games or the second one he played all right. He played he played pretty decent against well turned to be not an unbelievable defense, but uh, one of the better ones you saw, I think, probably were top five defense you saw this year. I thought he played pretty well in that game throwing the ball. Had some pretty good plays there. And for him never to touch the field again was so bizarre. After he's your guy, he, this is our guy. Just kidding, he's not. And it just switches. So I I don't know. I, I thought just from that standpoint, it was weird. And then the marsh, you know, marsh you know, getting reps and not getting reps. It was, I don't know. I just don't feel like they've handled that position well the last two years, given like a single guy a look. But the, at least at least once they picked Timmy, they stuck with him. I would say that's a positive and let him try to grow. But then they put a lot on him. So, I don't know. I'm not real, uh, real upbeat on how the quarterback position has been handled the last two years. Uh, but I think they have their guy, so now they can kind of zero in on it. And I think that was probably the biggest issue is finding who's your guy. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like eight quarterbacks have played in the last two years. So it's like he needs someone to step up. It's hard, it's hard to play with looking over your shoulder at that position. It's really difficult. Yeah. I honestly, I I count, think that there was to see if it is. Yeah, year. it's it's been three okay, this so year, three this three year, last right? year, right? I mean, three, do we count point. them bringing in Jaron Williams? Well, I mean, he was on the roster. Yeah. I feel bad because he, I, you know what? The thing that probably set him back was his appearance on this here podcast. We're um, cursing. And I, I I wish him the best. I wish, you know, all three guys now who are who have left the program uh, and have entered the portal. Um, that's now you now you're bringing in two freshman quarterbacks and we'll touch on that here at, at, at the end hopefully my internet stays alive we'll we'll find out AJ um, Martinez come on down for his 14th year of college football I but, uh, I actually think having sorry just to cut this off real quick I think having uh I, I know some people were worried about Marsh transferring and foreign going and like what the QB room looks like and everything um but I honestly I think that's probably a good thing for Timmy to not have, as, as uh, Seth mentioned, that overlooming person in your back shoulder waiting for you to I mean, I you think know, take your – You have to think he didn't feel that this year because it's not like he was lighting it up to end the season. They didn't really pull him until – I mean, they pulled, him, they pulled him into lane really quickly. 
No, they they played into the third quarter. They pulled him when the game was like they were down thirty points. Yeah, but like still at that point, pulling your quarterback at all, your hey. freshman quarterback at all, is probably not going to help his ego. Yeah, I mean he might have been getting hurt with that. I mean he with the way they were blitzing so much. Mm-hmm. I mean they, he got crushed a few times, but yeah. I I think you know I I'm not I know a lot of people are worried about Marsh transferring and what the QB room looks like and everything. Bring in a grad transfer who wants an MBA from Vinick School of Business. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just that's fine. You know, I think it's two freshmen, and you got to get a transfer in there just to have some some separation in class a little bit. Yeah, that that's for sure. Um, issue number two. Let's uh, move on here. The defensive line. It's been a real liability the last few years, and especially in 2020. Will we see improvement up front this year? Uh, as again, I'll go through our answers and then we'll review. I said, God, I hope so. A lot of experience and super seniors on this roster has to make some sort of difference, right? Plus having a full spring and, and fall to scheme up havoc plays has to lend itself to better results. Stieg, if I think if Coach Glenn Spencer schemes it right, they should be able to create havoc regardless but someone has to step up in that D-line room. And Seth, I would think you will see improvement, improved play up front. Not only will these guys have another year of growth and development physically, but the whole defense will have a better grasp of Glenn Spencer's schemes. In his second year, Spencer should be able to call for more movement and blitzing. These types of schemes would allow a smaller defensive line to exploit their quickness advantage. Well, she's doing a lot of work there. <laughs> should it should is uh, yeah. I always go these positive, assuming they're going to make the right decisions. This should is doing a lot of work there, and it did not. Uh, it did not do a lot of work in reality. So, yeah, no, I. They weren't great, but they also didn't like. They didn't move them a ton. They didn't do a lot of that stuff to try to help them out. So, yeah, I guess when when your coach, at least I didn't name the guy. You could both named him, Glenn Spencer. He was he was the guy calling plays. What am I going to say? Oh man, and he's not so, anymore. So is that a win or a loss? Tie, win, lose, or draw? What 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 do we think on the on this one? Well, see, I said he should have done something. He didn't do it, and he got fired. So I think it's a win for me. <laughs> and, I mean, Steeg's if is using is, is doing a lot of work, too, if if he schemes it right. I don't he think didn't. any – I don't he think, didn't. <laughs> I don't think any of us would – I don't think you would say any of us came out and were just – I think it's varying levels of uh, positivity and sugarcoating. Yeah, you were at very little, and then it just went. <laughs> got I don't think any of us said, "Yeah, they're going to be awesome." Like mine who, was, who stepped up on the D line room? Mine was <laughs> no that one. They're small, and I hope they move so they can quick their way around people. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement. <laughs> oh boy! But I think I think you got the better of us there, Nate. Yeah. All right. Next oh, one. Oh no! This next one. What's the next one? <laughs> One area where USF is well-stocked is wide receiver. Which receiver will lead the team in catches and yards this year, and can anyone be the first in school history to hit 1,000 yards? 
Oh, boy. Uh, I said Demarcus Gregory, the old mistransfer. There's a reason he went SEC out of high school, and we've seen glimpses of it during camp. I don't think we get a 1,000-yard receiver, but 822 may be in reach. Uh, Xavier Weaver technically finished with, you know, just over a hundred yards shy of a 22 and there. He missed a few games. So I'm going to give myself half a point on that. Um, Steeg, uh, who'd you pick? Oh, <laughs> Bryce Miller. <laughs> yeah. Strong names in this wide receiver room. Some great newcomers in Jimmy Horn and Demarcus Gregory. Then you get players who should take a huge leap forward, like Amar and Dawson and Xavier Weaver. Hey, they did. So good job by you. Uh, but I'm going to stick with the guy who continues to work his butt off. Bryce Miller will lead the team. He catches in yards again. And he didn't. We'll take, he'll come close to 1,000 yards. He didn't. Uh, oh, man. Uh, was, I mean, I felt like it was a safe pick, but we'll go to Seth's. Seth, uh, I think we have a different answer for both as far as, ca- as, far as catches. I think you see one of the slots like Bryce Miller and Mario Dawson lead in receptions. Mario finished second or third. He finished third behind third. Jimmy Horn, Jimmy a Horn slot receiver. Yeah. So, I mean, technically right. So, good job by you, especially if they run those jet sweeps with the forward pitch. <sighs> Didn't do it enough, but that's okay. <laughs> I believe Latrell Williams will lead the team in receiving yards. He's explosive and get on, get on top of defenses. I don't believe there will be one guy with monster numbers. However, I think the wealth gets spread around. Uh, you know, I think if you substitute Xavier Weaver for Latrell Williams, it all makes sense. And Latrell Williams got hurt. Well, let's get real. Yeah, he's gonna, let's he's get real. Gonna, he's a, we all know he's a late he's a late season bloomer. He's gonna come on. <laughs> Same with Bryce yeah. Miller. He got hurt too. You know. I don't. Th- I don't think we're too far off on those. No, um, I mean, Demarcus Gregory only having eleven catches really hurts me. I'll be honest. Uh, that one point three yards a catch. Though, imagine if they threw it to him more. <laughs> I know. Uh, Vito did say he wouldn't be surprised if Xavier Weaver adds to his impressive spring by being the deep threat guy that puts up a ton of yards. There you go, Vito. So good job by we'll Vito. Get the point to Vito. He's not here, uh, but. To listen, Nick said Latrell Williams and uh, Amari Jackson did not push off, uh, said Amari and Dollison. So, uh, real big whiff out of everyone except for Vito there. So, good job. Uh, next question There is really nowhere to go up to go but up for USF football. But what would you consider improvement this season? I said process over results. Do they respond after getting kicked in the teeth? Do they not quit? Is there a semblance of proof of concept by Black Friday? We need in-game coaching adjustments and strategy to be better. Steve, winning more, more, more than one game is an improvement, but keeping the player's attitude in line, even when they get punched in the mouth, is key. Also, Scott Weiss and Spencer need to show improvement in play calling and personnel decisions. Can't have a Temple or Memphis mishap happen again. Seth, I'm looking for consistency and identity. I'd like to end the year saying we know who the starting quarterback for is for next season, and we know how a Jeff Scott team plays. I don't think we got a full look at his blueprint for success last season. I think that's wins all around. We we kind of nailed it here, folks. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, 
I mean, I huge believer in process over uh, over results. I think you know progress is not linear. I think we we started to see progress, and then that two lane game really really dug deep 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 down, and then we saw a little bit more uh, on Black Friday. Uh, we did need to see in game coaching adjustments and strategy be better. It wasn't great for large swaths of the year. Um, they they didn't really quit at all this season, so I'll, I'll take that. Uh, it was there a proof of concept, and definitely not in the defensive scheme. But was there is there a proof of concept offensively? Sometimes. Yeah. Special team. I, I was actually talking about special teams, and they nailed it. So, I mean, I think we found out what isn't it on defense this year. Yeah, that's not it. So, and then Steve, you you nailed it. Winning one more game, it is improvement. So good job by you. Uh, the easiest have- thing I could have said. <laughs> Yeah, can't have a, a Temple or Memphis mishap happen again. Mm. Uh, it happened a few yeah. times. You know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah. And Seth, we know who the quarterback is for next season. There you go. That's a win. Uh, do we know how a Jeff Scott team plays? Would you say that we don't? I think I have an idea, but I don't think we know exactly, especially on defense, because obviously he wanted to play a little more press coverage, do a little more blitzing, and his coordinator at the time just disagreed. And Related story, unrelated story. He's looking for a new defensive coordinator right now. So. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Uh, we got two more. Oh, God. I think. Yeah, two more. USF has a daunting schedule, especially out of conference. But which game might be ripe for the Bulls to pull off an ups- upset? I said, I don't think they beat uh, NC State, but BYU, Tulsa, and Houston are very winnable games if things break right for the Bulls. Steeg said, every year going into a conference game where they seem entirely outmatched by a heavy favorite and a darling child, USF seems to catch lightning in a bottle and play well but not always win this year staring black Friday in the face. USF will upset central Florida. If only you to watch. And I, Seth, I keep coming will. back to that BYU game. The Cougars lost a ton from last year's magical, magical season. Oh, and they didn't play anybody last year, which also contributed to their success. Maybe they reload, but I think there'll be more down than people anticipate. Came down to the end there. Came down to the old wire. <laughs> I mean, um, I was technically right about. They were better than I thought, but yeah, let's start that good. That BYU didn't play anyone, and then they started playing someone, and they started winning. <laughs> they lost a few games this year. Listen, they didn't <laughs> go undefeated or anything. Let's get real. <laughs> Who they beat? Pack tit, Pack twelve. Come on. Get real, Steve. Yeah, get real. You know, and USF was in every, all three games that I thought that they could pull off the upset. 
They were in the BYU game. They should have won the Tulsa game, and they were in the Houston game for a little bit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself the win on that one. Uh, and uh, for coldest take on this question, uh, we're gonna give this to Colin. Uh, Tulane should be a touchdown favorite in New Orleans. I think that the line ended at what five and a half, mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. Uh, but that Willie Fritz modified pistol plays right into USF hands. Bulls roll the wave in Yulman. That may be the iciest take we've had in a good little bit. In a good little bit. Uh, and then finally, we're going to wrap up with the predictions here. Uh, and this is where uh, I will kindly say um, the hate blog moniker is unfounded. Okay. All of us had USF winning more than two games. And uh, again, our positivity and optimism for a USF sport was promptly shoved back down our throats where it belongs, as always. So I said a respectable four and eight. I said FAMU, Temple, ECU. They should have won those. Yeah, you know, they they won two of them, FAMU and Temple. Uh, I didn't know Timmy was going to be hurt, and uh, it was going to be a torrential downpour for ECU. Uh, and then I said one of BYU, Tulsa, Houston, and Tulane. They they should have beat Tulsa. Uh, they could have beaten BYU. Uh, you can talk me into five wins, but that's my limit. This year sets up for even more progress in 2022. Steeg. Uh, let's just skip mine. <laughs> you know, there's no reason to discuss uh, my undoctrinated optimism going into every season. Six and six, bowl eligibility, and most importantly, progress and momentum going into 2022. And then, Seth, give me the over on three and a half wins. Anything over four this year is gravy. Yeah, we're all lost. They very, I mean, they were they very easily could have won four to four to five games this year. Absolutely. So it's not like the worst thing I've ever. Not my worst prediction on here. That's for sure. <laughs> no, uh, definitely not. Definitely not our worst prediction of, of the bunch. But uh, you know, I thought there I there were times of improvement and two wins is not enough. Jeff Scott knows this. He, he knows this isn't a lifetime deal. He said it post game uh, after black Friday that he needs to start winning. Um, but you need to be able to set the foundation and there are pieces in place. I think he's going to have to take a good hard look in the mirror and see if Charlie Weiss is the, the answer for him at offensive coordinator and what kind of, doing a hard reset at both coordinator positions will do um, for, for this team. I, I think you're, you're seeing that losing Glenn Spencer wasn't really a loss. Uh, I think Charlie Weiss may be a bigger loss on the recruiting standpoint than, than Glenn ever would have been. Um, but there's still a lot of moving pieces. There's still so many open jobs. There's still so many staffs that need to be filled out. Who knows what's going to happen as the coaching carousel continues to churn. Do we want to talk coordinator candidates at all real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So the two that uh, that coach I was talking about earlier, he reached out to me about two guys, Verpale and Rowe. 
and I've heard from other people about those guys that have coached with them, that they're both basically superstars and either one of them would be awesome. Um, so James Rowe, I think he's a corners coach with the Colts now or something like that. Right. Yep. Andrew yep. Pales, a D coordinator at Kennesaw state. Both those guys I think would be really good hires and there may be a possibility to get them both together. I think is what some people are saying. And, but he, he was basically, he told me, he messaged me out of the blue and just like, Hey, you tell everybody down there that they need to hire these guys. And I was like, well, I think they're getting interviewed. Uh, it seems like their, their names are being bandied about, but both those guys are well-respected by coaches. They're both young guys that I think will recruit to and relate well to the players. Uh, Rose been in the NFL for two different stints. I know he's at the Redskins before. Um, he was, I think he was a coordinator for, or, or he was, a, I know he coached for Kerwin at JU. That's how mm-hmm. I kind of first heard about it. Was a GA at Florida, went to the Redskins, came back to college, and he was at App State, and then went to the Colts. So he's, he's, uh, obviously, if you're coaching the NFL for a couple different stints, you're probably pretty good at your job. Um, so he would be a good one. And then Verpale, I think everybody, a lot of people know his background, but he's another one that's kind of risen through the coaching ranks that would be a really good hire as well. And if you could get both of them, that'd be really, really good. So those are the two that I know of just from other people kind of reaching out to me talking about that I think would be excellent hires. I don't know. Is there anybody else you guys are hearing or those are the two, those are the two loudest that I've heard. Um, James Rowe about them together. I have heard about them being together. I don't know in what capacity, like co DCs or something like that. Um, which would be interesting, uh, to say the least. So he was at App State last year. I I believe they're friends, at least they I know they've coached with the same people at different stops. So they're, I'm pretty sure they know each other already so that w- yeah. wouldn't be a crazy like two guys button heads or anything so here's rose kind of timeline so he played baseball at usf from 05 to 07 and then he was the coco high school uh off oc and quarterbacks coach from 2007 to 2010 and then he was a, a ga and corners coach at jacksonville wide receivers in 2013 dc in 14 and then he went to Florida as a GA in 15. And then he was the Valdosta DC in 2016. I believe what current, I think current one was there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he got the job 2016. That was his first season, I think. Because I had some of the guys that ended up going with him later were at Tusculum when I was there in 2016. And then so. Danny Verpale took over for James Rowe as DC for Valdosta when they won that national championship. And then when Kerwin took the job at USF, Danny came, uh, went to Kennesaw State as the DC, and I think they're still in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think they, I think they won their second round game this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then James was uh, from 2017 to 2019. He was with Washington as a assistant DBs coach, and then he coached corners at App State, and now he's with the Colts and uh, former former Bull Tyrone McKenzie is also uh, on staff as well uh, with the uh, Colts. So it, it could be a family affair, bringing back some some homegrown talent. I, I know that seems to be the, the 
niche thing right now is to to bring back uh, some talent. I want to make sure. I'm not even totally sure what Tyrone does um, for the Colts. Just a handsome dude on the sideline. Kansas State did beat Davidson. They play East Tennessee State this week. Big matchup. Um, Just miles apart from each other, I'm pretty sure, actually. (laughs) Up in old Johnson City. the old Appalachian rivalry. Old Johnson City. Yeah, they call it so, the uh, the war on I sixty two or whatever that road is. Okay, so he was. It looks like he, he was. He's a one of the team's coaching fellows, and he was a linebackers coach for the Lions last year as well. Tyrone McKenzie. So he has some coaching experience, but I think if you're trying to, I don't think you're getting rid of Ernie Sims uh, after after kind of developing. Some some depth back there at, at linebacker. I think I think Antonio Greer and, and Dwayne Boyle's coming back, and then Demar's Bellamy being. I thought uh, he played well in kind, on the fr- on Black Friday. I thought he came in and played yeah. pretty well. I, I think you're, you're not getting rid of Ernie Sims, especially with how well the defense uh, responded to him on Black Friday. So uh, you know some adjustments that typically you don't you get your DC and then let some attrition happen while letting him bring in his own people, but you don't get rid of the entire staff because of recruiting purposes. Um, so we'll, we'll see uh, in that respect uh, how things kind of shake out. I think we'll know sooner rather than later. I think AFCA is coming up. I think that's what in like the next 10 days or so. I think it's usually like mid early to mid December. That's where like all the coaches kind of convene, and that's where people get hired and, and interviewed and stuff. So I think we may hear something uh, as we get closer and closer to early signing day, uh, which is kind of the transition I was looking for to discuss the comings and goings of of the recruiting process for 2022. Um, lots of movement uh, since the season has ended. Uh, let's just take a gander at the the guys who have left, and we'll go from there. So, obviously, we, we discussed the quarterbacks. Travis Marsh, Jaron Williams, and Kate Ford have all entered the portal. Uh, Jared Sackett, a uh, kicker who came in, who was a two-time Luke Groza semifinalist, has left after be- getting beaten out by Spencer Schrader, uh, and he's back home at UTSA. Start at UTSA. Took a had a cup of coffee at Arkansas, and then came over to to USF and just never really found his footing here. And now he's back at UTSA, where it, where it all started. You like that? That's that was a good, one. right? That was nine out of ten. I appreciate it. Uh, Bryce Miller obviously also transferred. Uh, Leo Parker transferred, um, and Stacy Kirby transferred. So far, and Ryan Thaxton. He's not in the portal yet, but I'd imagine. I imagine he's 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 gone one way or another. Yeah. Uh, so so that's it for right now, and I mean right now, like as in ten fourteen p.m. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? You know, in the next two minutes, it could be a, a slew of incoming and outgoing players. Uh, but we've got uh, some good guys coming in. Steeg, take us through uh, who's kind of coming in to to the transfer. Uh, from the transfer portal uh, so far. 
so so far there's five guys that are making their ways from uh other division one stops to usf which is a, a key phrase i like to use because uh in years past you know normally we'd have to bring a guy up from like an fcs or d2 school uh so it's nice to get some division one talent back on back into this roster um first and foremost uh nick bags uh nick bagshavelli uh, he was a defensive lineman, defensive tackle from Temple. So being able to poach a guy from uh, a conference mate um, is is usually pretty good. He he showed really good, you know, proof of concept in his in his limited playing time. I think he played in like three games this year as a freshman. So he's definitely got the motor there. Definitely got the strength. Just he got injured and wanted out. Next, you bring in a guy like Michael Dukes who he's listed as a running back, but we're hearing he's coming in as a slot receiver, uh, but basically a, a dynamic player that, you know, can come in and, you know, make, make some catches out of the backfield, out of the slot, wherever you can kind of line them up, kind of very similar to what they were trying to use with Darian Felix, um, at least conceptually, but never kind of got into there. Um, then James Ash, uh, former Tampa Bay uh, prospect uh, coming out of Chamberlain, right? I've um, heard yeah. of it. Yeah, may, may have heard of it. Uh, go Chiefs, uh, baby. Let's yeah, go. Uh, a defensive lineman from Wake Forest. Uh, never really cracked the starting lineup, but was ultra talented. Got an ACC offer. Had a few. Had an offer, I think, from Missouri as well. So obviously the talent is there uh, from some you know old rich guy conferences. Uh, and then the big one uh, that everyone kind of was talking about and waiting on was Clyde Pender Jr. Uh, former Armwood standout, four-star defensive lineman, um, pretty good. You know, had some good stats his freshman year. Unfortunately, uh, don't know what UNC's defensive coordinator decided to do this year. Uh, saw a lot of two-down lineman techniques coming out of uh, Chapel Hill, which I am not an expert in defense, but those usually don't work too well when you're running that uh, consistently. So he's coming back home. Um, and then the most recent one is uh, – Caffrey Brown, also a North Carolina transfer, just an absolute speed demon at wide receiver. Runs like a four-three. There was a report that he ran like a four-two-two at one of the camps coming out of high school. Those are always accurate. Um, but just an absolute guy that can take the top off of a defense. Uh, comes to us after a really good freshman year at North Carolina. Got injured. Got a little bit of the the brick hands uh his sophomore year and now he's he's made his way down here so right now there's five guys that are transferring in there's a few more guys we're hearing are are interested in coming home maybe there's scholarship issues maybe there's something happening uh this weekend um you know maybe there's some official visits happening this weekend so you know we'll probably see more things happen soon I think so. I think uh, by the end of this weekend, we'll we'll have uh, a pretty good picture on what what signing day is going to look like. I think they'll have what two more weekends of visits before uh, signing day officially uh, starts. Uh, Caffrey uh, Brown, he's from Charlotte, so uh, I think the the real benefit for him now is he's actually going to be able to uh, see what a good airport looks like, a functional good airport because that Charlotte airport sucks ass. It is terrible. He One of the worst is just airports it, in the world. It is, like, I don't understand wh why that airport exists. 
Like, just be better. <laughs> it just be just better. Be better. And, the motto of Charlotte Airport and USF football. Just be better. I hate it. Uh, McCarran International in Vegas is awful, too. They they close the stores at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Like, all the, all the restaurants are closed at 8 p.m. So, that sucked. Uh, 8 p.m. Uh, oh, God, it was... I was just so glad to fly back home this morning. Literally this morning, we I got home at seven a.m. It took Olivia to school at eight o'clock, um, and then slept for four hours. It, ugh, it was awful. But some promising guys coming in, I think, that are going to address the issues. We are a hate blog, man. I, I hate bad airports. I I will stand firmly on that. Bad airports are the worst. Seth, you've traveled around the, the country uh, recruiting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Best and worst airport in your experience? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't pay too much attention to the airport. Uh, I tell you, it's not. I don't know how bad it is, but it's uh, if you get stuck in the wrong terminal in Atlanta. And you got a they got a short layover. That can be that can be a tough one. I almost pulled a hamstring getting to <laughs> gate C or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really have strong airport feelings. I try not to spend a lot of time there. So, um, yeah. are you a driver? I was when I was recruiting because we didn't have like a huge budget or anything. So, um, a lot of driving there. Uh, I'm trying to think some good airports. Um, what's the, the I, I've been to the one in Paris was pretty good. That wasn't a bad one. That's the only one that I can think of that stands out. Uh, but I don't. I'm not a big airport guy, so I don't. don't none of them. None of them stand out. Tampa's good. It's a good one. Big big fan of Tampa. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island, fantastic airport. Great. Uh, I think it's like Thomas Green International Airport. It's great. Uh, for AAC Media Days when we go, uh, it's it's a, always a good time. It's a super simple to get in and out of. Um, Ronald Reagan, I think. I think that's what I flew into when we went to the Navy game in 2019. That was okay. I flew into Baltimore. I have a, that or the, the one outside Baltimore, I think. That one sucked. There you go. It jogged my memory. <laughs> I think uh, my Miami is another one. There you go. Oh God, I was about to say. I hate Miami. Too. I flew out of Miami a lot. Yeah, those are two Miami's, bad ones. Miami's airport just has so many issues. There's just nothing good that happens there. But yes, uh, I, I, my hatred for Charlotte Airport will just never go unwashed. I, I mean, I feel so bad for those guys from Charlotte that we're going to have to like interact with in in a couple of years because. I will just nonstop trash that airport, like every time. I, I I'll, I'll drive there instead. I'd rather drive to Charlotte than have to deal with that airport. Yeah, it's not it's not great. Um, oh God, what was the airport? Um, oh, this is really, this is really another one that's that that has very uh, small issues, but it's still a problem. Is New Orleans Airport? It's uh. I mean, for the most, I mean, it's base. It's it's three terminal. Like, it's nothing major or anything like that. But like, fuck, there's nowhere to sit. Like, if you want to sit down and like eat food, like, there's nowhere to sit. 
Like, yeah, you could sit at, like, the gate and everything like that, but you're going to look like an idiot. Just, there's no tables. Like, there's nowhere to just, like, sit and relax and have, like, an airport beverage or anything. It's just fucking gates everywhere. Hmm. Orlando sucks. Uh, yep. I like I like Sanford's uh, little tiny little airport. That's I, I'm I like that one, but Orlando MCO is terrible. Uh, it's just it's literally the worst uh, airport ever um, outside of Charlotte, I guess. Uh, but as we wrap up this show, I, I want to end on let's just end on a highlight. What was your favorite moment of the season, Seth? Oh, let me go. I got to think about it. Steve, you go. I want you to go first. You can probably jog my memory here. Um, sorry, I just got reminded of uh, when we were in the New Orleans airport and we were trying to find a place to uh, to eat some uh, Cafe du Monde beignets. And uh, I dropped the bag and fucking power went everywhere. And it looked like the it looked like a narco scene. And I mean, it was just the worst moment of my life. And this poor like person that was like cleaning this, she was like, she's like, oh, like. You enjoy your beignets, like don't worry about it. Like I'll clean up after you. And I was like, no, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Let me live in my filth for a minute. Um, highlight of this season, I, I mean, the the obvious one is is setting a school rushing record. You know, anytime you beat a school record, that's pretty neat. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably uh, the moment that's probably going to be highlighted at least when you look back at the 2021 football season. Um, I think my my true highlight, like the one time I was like, yeah, this is fun, uh, was, was Jimmy Horn's uh, touchdown catch, that 80-yard, you know, crosser. I mean, I don't care what the outcome of that game was. Like, that was the that was the moment that I was like, oh, like, maybe we'll be okay one day. Hmm. I think that might be mine as well because it was like, you know, see, just give him the football. <laughs> <laughs> it was like proof of concept to keep doing that that might have been that might have been my favorite play i think he's the best player on the team so they need to give him the ball a little bit more uh the kick returns were also fun i missed one i went to the bathroom i had to watch it on the tv in the press box but those were those were fun yeah oh man um i think I don't think it's my favorite moment, but I think it was. I can't remember what game it was, but Jaron Mangum. Oh, go go ahead. Chris Carter tracking down the blocked field goal. That was a good one. That's Top a good moment. Is, I think maybe number one. Yep, that could, I, that could be number. Take one. back to Jimmy Horton. That's 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 probably my favorite moment. I think that's a good. That was one. my that's one to build on. It's my proof of concept. My my prediction of progress and not getting punched in the mouth. Yeah, Brian Batiste, three touchdowns uh, versus Houston on his first three touches, uh, averaging like what seventy-eight yards per touch, and then only getting, you. then only getting the ball twice the rest of the game. Um, yeah, that was a great start. Uh, <laughs> let's if this guy's averaged seventy a touch. Let's give him a few more touches. Yeah, that was fun. I think my my favorite part, um, maybe not. It's not my favorite moment, but like there were like I think two or three times where Timmy McLean got uh, to the half-inch line but got pushed out of bounds or got – there was a touchdown that got called back because he was out of bounds. And I, we just, like, look at each other and, like, oh, it's vulture time. Just start, like, like angels in the outfield. 
yeah like any any time uh usf got within like the three yard line we were like oh it's it's over jaron jaron's getting the ball and there has been there was one time where he got the ball got down to like the two i think kelly joiner came in and he got stuffed and like what are we doing get jaron in there and he scored on the next play um that that was that was also fun um the was it the temp, I think it was the Temple game where Seth, uh, you and I were. There was one where uh, Jaron Scott tr- got tripped up as as uh, he was on the verge of scoring a touchdown longer than ten yards and got tripped up, and then it finally happened uh, in the ECU game. Um, I think that was that running bit of him averaging like two point one yards per touchdown rush. Uh, up until that point, uh, that that's my favorite part. <laughs> that was, yeah, the uh, to see if he would have 15 touchdowns that were less yardage combined than Marlon Mack's longest touchdown of his 15 touchdown season or whatever it was just prime comedy. Yeah, it was, close. was It was pretty close. I think he, I think he ruined it. But the defense stand versus Houston before the half. Yeah. I agree. That was a good one. Um, BYU block field goal. It's massive. That was a good one. There's some good ones. It's just there was there were moments. There's a um, lot of uh, more. My favorite moment that. was my Harrison Ford impression that absolutely just derailed this. Not even this podcast. This blog, like in itself. You know, you were the, the talk of the watch party with that with that uh that impression there oh and then jose uh picking up the bar tab that was fun yeah that was good good times had had by all. for 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 a two-win team you know we we sure did have some fun yeah and you this know is... what go ahead seth that's not what's up. most important not yeah, really they get, paid, they get paid a lot of it... money to win but it's 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 still fun it's all it about the friends fun. we made along the way you know we made some we made some great friends uh this football season um i i i got i was talking to samantha uh this morning as we were dropping olivia off to school and uh we were like i i just didn't get a lot of hate messages i like no one really was upset with us this year even though the team was was two and ten so i don't know why steve why are you laughing am i cutting out or something no no i was laughing at no, no, no! Sorry, I was laughing at the the one incident that we had where we got a hate message. Oh God! Unrelated to football. Unrelated to football. That the the basketball thing. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, well, that was the only hate message we got, but yeah, it really. I think it really was, and that was yeah. Oh <laughs> man! And after tonight, man, so lucky I didn't say anything. After what happened, oh boy, oh boy, um, yeah, that first drive versus Tulane, uh, that was that was a that was a good start, and then just literally never doing anything else the rest of the game, not even coming. That was yeah, that was fun. That speed option was uh, picture perfect. Uh, yeah, but some good moments, it, and they ran a ton more the rest of the game. Probably. <laughs> Wait, I think they only did it once. <laughs> I think that I don't. I think I can for sure say they only ran it once. 
but then they they brought it back for Black Friday. And it was just just not a wasn't a great. It was there. It wasn't a great pitch, but it was there. It was there. So, uh, yeah, it's been a fun year. Um, lots of ups, lots of downs, uh, lots of in between. But you know what? Progress isn't static. It's not just a straight line or a straight, you know, drive up the mountain. There's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some flat tires. Uh, you know, your transmission may drop out, uh, just fall for straight from under your car. Um, I think that may have been the two lane game. Uh, you know, the car could be on fire. Who knows? I think at least one part of the car was on fire in, in two lane. That's for sure. Uh, sucked. Luckily we got that. We got that fire put out. So God. that was not fun. I spent, I mean, the only good thing about that game was that I spent uh, two US dollars on two tickets to that game. That's pretty good. Can't beat that price. Nope. Cannot Just beat to... it. But we've, we've droned on long enough. Uh, thank you for everyone who's, who's listened uh, who has followed, who has interacted with us uh, on, on these live streams. It's been fun. Um, just a, a real pleasure interacting with everyone. Uh, we will continue to have weekly podcasts uh, for basketball season. And uh, as we you know, get deeper into recruiting and the offseason moves. Um, but for the final, I guess, final time uh, to wrap up this football season for Seth, Stieg, and Nathan, thank you for listening to the Bluminati podcast sponsored by Irish 31 and Homefield Apparel. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. And if you think I'm not going to be positive next year at the beginning of the season, just remember that goofy meme. meme. I'll do it again. <laughs> I'm going to do it again.